Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. Unfortunately, since all three of us are in different countries, I'm not popping any champagne, lads. I'm sorry. James Allen, you're with me as always. We won the title, but... Unlike pretty much every other Celtic podcast that I've seen this week, I just didn't have the budget to, you know, bring some fancy champagne to the the table. I'm I'm sorry about that, but it's just something you're sort of going to have to get put up with. I don't like champagne anyway. <laughs> Misery. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't think about. All, I, can't, I can't. I can't. I can't operate a spreadsheet while drunk. That's just can't do it. It can't be done. Are Celtic not a bit? too successful at this point to be buying champagne every single time they win the league because at that point you're just going to be out of pocket that's that is the biggest question I, uh, that i have I've, is where where are these celtic podcasts getting the number for all the, the money for all the champagne i just don't know well i don't know i don't know about that um you know but i would I, what i would say is you know celebrate every title as if it's the last absolutely never take it for granted because you never know what's around the corner so um appreciate every single one well, you know what? It's funny that you mentioned that because when people talk to me and people ask me about supporting Celtic, one of the main questions I get from the most part is, you know, do you not get sick of winning? Are you not are you not fed up of Celtic completely dominating the league? And sometimes you do get like along the season, you're like, ah, like I, I wish there was a little bit more of a challenge here. But then it got to the end of the season there when Celtic were on the pitch, the players were enjoying themselves. Andrew's out in the pitch enjoying the fans. And I was like, this is unbelievable. It's just unmatched. It is unmatched. And the feeling of winning is something that I will never, ever get tired of as a Celtic fan. 100%. I know Celtic have got a huge economic advantage. Of course they have. But you, if you don't put the work in, you don't you know, try your hardest. You know, the, just, you know, the margins are not equivalent. Margins and talent. Uh, are not equivalent necessarily to the wage or or uh, financial gap, and certainly can be closed if there's an effort gap. So if you if you're not putting willing to put the put the yards in, we've all played football, right? We all know this, right? If you're not at it, you know, a, a much less talented team, talented, you know, talent is is includes effort and, and commitment, etc. Uh, will 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 we'll beat you. So you know it it isn't easy. None of these games easy. The game on Sunday. Um, you know, was not easy, uh, and rightly so. It shouldn't be. Uh, you know, and if you go back through, I know Celtic have been enormously successful this season in terms of just the lack of games that have been drawn or lost. But that is rarely the case. You know, normally you're losing four or five, six games, drawing sort of the same, right? So 
this is just a particularly well-organized version of Celtic. So we should, again, appreciate that. It's it's an easy trope for the media to throw, I think, to say, oh, well, we'll we've now decided it's boring because you keep winning every week. Well, you know what? I'm going to enjoy it even more. <laughs> mm. Well, the motto, I don't, I don't tend to like these mottos too often, but I do like the one from my club from home, and that is that uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I mean, you, there's one thing that you can definitely not throw at these Celtic players, and that is that they don't work hard enough. They do. They work their balls off, and that is very, very evident by the end of the season where you can just tell that everyone's just really tired. Um, look, Celtic, Celtic, the team, even with the depth that they have, they were all on their last legs and probably showed that over the last number of weeks when they were just about getting over the line. So I think this is an exceptional Celtic team and a joy to watch over the last season or so. So in, on this podcast, we're going to be sort of picking through our player of the years or looking at the team of the year from... Uh, the SBFL, and we're also going to be looking back at the the season as a whole without going too in depth on on everything. But we'll we'll start off with the Hearts game, James. I mean, this one was on TV. It was a stodgy one. First twenty minutes looked very, very much like Hearts were going to take the lead, but Celtic dig in. There's a red card to Hearts. Celtic take the lead eventually. And in the second half, you would say Celtic were probably the most dominant side, but. It certainly wasn't easy at Tynecastle at the weekend. I'll try to um, wrap in your, your first question, line of questioning, conversation with Alan with that one, which is part of what makes this season, I think, so um, special within the context of, you know, such a long uh, extended period of dominance is the way that we've gone about doing it, um, the quality of the entertainment. And, you know, if you th- I've been doing, you know, I did a bunch of little benchmarking exercises to prepare for our conversation about player of the year and all that stuff. And when you go back and look at seasons like 17, 18, 18, 19, and, and, and at least for me, I remember, you know, go back to the, the dial of seasons, like there was long periods of those seasons where the quality of the entertainment was, was, uh, shall we say lacking, um, particularly in the 18, 19 season, you know, where we were kind of, um, digging out results, let's say, um, you know, so we still won the league comfortably, uh, particularly before eighteen nineteen season, there wasn't much competition in the league domestically. So, you know, we kind of faked our way into a, uh, or, or the media would fake their way into a, um, a title race into March against Aberdeen or something. Right. But a lot of those seasons kind of, you know, petered out a little bit um, from a quality perspective early like I remember even in 17 18 and 18 19 season as early as like kind of died after the after the the holiday or the the festive period um and we just started to see a little bit of that lately right where the performance levels of kind of you know we've been kind of uh digging our way through some of these games um but to me again that just highlights how good we've been all all season and consistently is because this is kind of popping up. It's like, where's this coming from? It's on, you know, it doesn't really look the same. And I think this hearts game was probably um, particularly the first half, uh, the best example of that all season. And in that, you know, relative to the quality of the opponent, it's always kind of tough going there to a degree because of the pitch and that kind of stuff. But I mean, if you probably the, the, the visual that epitomized it to me, there's a, you know, stats bomb has a pass network by half. And I think one of the guys at Celtic wave shared it on, um, on Twitter, I had actually seen it beforehand uh, in, in kind of my post game review. And if you looked at that first half, I mean, it, 
it was like we were playing Real Madrid or something. <laughs> I mean, you know, we were bunkered into a degree. And again, it's all relative. You get, you know, I'm using um, hyperbole a little bit, but, you know, we were very much in our half for a large chunk of that first, um, uh, you know, particularly 40 minutes. Um, and, you know, again, to Hart's credit, they, they really give us a, a bit of a hassle. Um, and again, it kind of gets back to this whole thing or they just weren't quite good enough to make us pay for it. But they, you know, it was, it was a very challenging first half in the context that we've kind of been looking lethargic the last couple of weeks, I would argue, have obviously some, some turnover in players, guys coming back from injury, new center back pairing or relatively new. So, you know, there's all this, these kind of externalities, but um, yeah, it, it was uh, quite the contrast. Uh, it, I think is remindful of um, how good the, in totality that the season has been because, you know, we sit here and piss and moan about 40 minutes of what we oftentimes in prior seasons got literally weeks of. <laughs> um, so that's how I'll, I'll, I'll wed those two together. What did you make of the first half, Alan? I mean, again, we're, a lot of people were used, a lot of teams were using the St. Mirren sort of uh, tactic that was the defeat that Celtic had this season in the league. But if you're looking at how to beat Celtic or how at least to put Celtic under pressure, if you could sustain the fitness level and the shape and the discipline to do what Hearts did for the first 25 minutes, that for me is a much better model for beating Celtic because you're actually on the front foot if you get the ball back and you're further up the pitch and it's not just bunkering in and hoping for the best and hoping to get a draw out of it. I think for other teams in the league, that's more of a tactic than to to get an actual win against Celtic than bunkering in is, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think Hearts deserve credit in terms of yeah, being on the front foot, pressing Celtic back very aggressively. I, did, I was amusing to myself as I watched it and I did wonder if those same players had put in the same sheer effort and running running power <laughs> in the last days of Robbie Nielsen's reign or not. Um, yeah, but uh, certainly no faulting any of that on on the day from 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 their players, and and they were successful. I mean, the the I think there was a combination as it's never one thing, right? So I think they were very well. I thought I looked at their lineup and thought, wow, they're being really bold here. They've gone for essentially four out and out attackers. Um, you know, they, they put Shankland behind Ginelli. I thought that was a, quite a smart move. You know, Shankland's strong boy, he holds the ball up well. He can win flick-ons and obviously Ginelli's quick and direct. So you sometimes think of maybe doing that the other way around. But I thought that was an interesting. Uh, first time I'd seen the lad uh, Oda on the right. Um, he had a fascinating half um, because off the ball. He was tremendous. I mean, he was closing down his work rate, his tackling back, his aggression um, was factually fantastic. The problem for him started the minute he got the ball. <laughs> I don't think he, I don't think he once, I think he might have, I'm sure he did complete a pass, but not many. Um, and this is really one of the themes of the season is that, you know, teams have come up with different and sometimes effective for a period strategies of restricting Celtic's um, fluidity um, by sometimes either sitting deep on it, but in this case, by pressing high. But the, the challenge always is when they get the ball, what do they do with it? And, and, and the hearts, unfortunately, again, on the ball, 
just were, were very, very poor. I mean, yes, they had the majority of shots in the first half, but they were nearly all from either corners of set pieces, long throws or corners, or if there were shots, they were from well outside the box. And they just didn't look like they were going to carve Celtic a chance to, like the goals that Celtic scored, where you've got a striker finishing a shot from inside the six-yard box. You, it, they didn't look like creating that kind of chance. And, and you know, Celtic, some of it was Celtic creating their own problems. Um, you know, I think uh, the new centre-back pairing, obviously, um, Ralston starting his first full game for, for a long time. That You know, there was a bit of rustiness there for sure. I mean, Kobayashi had a phenomenal amount of the ball, and yes, a few of his passes went astray, but he generally marshalled um, Shanklin pretty well, actually. Um, there was no real sort of howlers or rickets there. He had a few shaky passes for sure. But yeah, you know, I think a lot of the players did. There's a lot of turnovers that Hart has forced in that first half. And you can say, well, yeah, and then the, the, the sending off obviously sort of changed the game. But again, if you think about that first half, Hearts were actually pushed up surprisingly high. Now, a lot of teams don't do that against Celtic, and they were very brave, I would say, in that regard. And one of the re- other reasons that Celtic didn't look fluent was because they tried an extraordinarily large number of long through, direct through balls because Hearts had pushed up so high. So it looked worse than it was from a control perspective because we were willfully giving the ball away. And not willfully, obviously we're trying to connect with Kyogo or Maeda or whoever running in behind, but we, we tried an awful lot more direct over-the-top balls than what Celtic would normally do in a normal game um, by design. And guess what? The sending off came from one of those moments. So they defended those or we didn't execute well um, for 42 minutes and then Ralston hits a perfect ball in behind. Uh, the lad brings Maeda down. You know, I said at the time, my non-expert opinion was there was an awful lot of variables there for you to be sure that Maeda was going to get a goal-scoring opportunity. Um, and therefore, could you say the referee made a clear and obvious error by awarding the foul and giving the ladder a yellow card? That's just my perspective. I could be wrong. And I've asked, obviously, the Yorkshire Whistler to look at it. Equally, you could argue... You know, Maeda's four or five yards ahead of the next defender. Kyogo's coming, coming up on his, his shoulder and, and, and obviously straight through at goal. So I can see both sides mm-hmm. and I'm not an expert. But the point I'm making is that Celtic tried a different approach for this game. It didn't work for 42 minutes. And when it did, it changed the game utterly. And then similarly, the opening goal came from exactly the same thing. You know, 67 minutes, they were actually starting to tire really badly. Devlin actually had a tremendous game for them in terms of, I think he was responsible for five turnovers. So in that aspect of the game, he was excellent. He was out on his feet. I think he got substituted a few minutes later and they just fell asleep. The back line didn't move up. It's one and McGregor played a beautiful ball. Hitati timed his run brilliantly. And again, so two balls over the top from Celtic, um, won them effectively won them the game. So again, you can say they weren't fluent, and absolutely they weren't, and you know, it, it all looked a bit tired and a bit flustered, but the team changed their approach to match the conditions. They changed their approach to match what the opposition were doing, and ultimately by exploiting those weaknesses in Hart's high line, they've won the game. And so mm. that's, you know, call that pragmatic, call it what you want, but to me that's that's quite smart. I thought the first half was absolutely calling out for one of the midfielders to take the ball and just control it, calm everything down, 
slow it down, slow the play down, take an extra touch, play a five-yard pass to another midfielder, take it again. Usually what Hatate does, Hatate wasn't doing that for the first half an hour or so. Cal McGregor wasn't as good as he normally is, in my opinion, in the first half in particular. And Matt O'Reilly was snubbed out. Now, this is that's not all down to them having bad games. It's also down to the way the Hearts played and compressed the space and made it difficult for them to do that. But I thought in the second half when Hatate actually did do that, when he got on the ball, when he started to take, to take control of the game as he, as he does and has done across the season, that's when Celtic started to really open up Hearts. And again, when Aaron Moy came on, I thought he did an excellent job once again of that weird run that doesn't really make sense for a player of him, of his stature and his pace and ability is that running behind the defense. He did that a couple of times and uh, Celtic got in behind a couple of times. And yeah, I think that's an important thing that Celtic are going to need to do. And what any manager at Celtic is going to need to do is no matter how hard and fast their plans are, they need to be able to adjust and think for themselves on the pitch as well because teams are going to try beat them in different ways. Even if it's just in the league, there's going to be teams buggered in, there's going to be teams pressing high. And then in the Champions League, it's a completely different story altogether. So I think, take the Real Madrid example against Manchester City, two completely different teams, one coached to high heaven, the other coached but allowing the players to think and act and react to the situation that they're in. And I think it's good that Celtic have a balance between that. They're very well coached. They've got a good structure, good formation, but the players also are able to express themselves within that structure. And I think that's kind of what we've spoken about across the season is how the players, not not to get obsessed with structures and formations and things like that, that the players allow, give the players a structure and allow them to express themselves within that structure. And that's how Celtic are are probably going to go on and have success. So, yeah, I thought it was good that Celtic were able to do that in this game. On the red card, I think it's, it, you know, it's one of those ones, it looks soft. It does, it really does look soft. But by the rules of the game, the the example I use for that to explain it is that if that's in the penalty box, it's a penalty, but it's probably not a red card because he's making a genuine attempt to go for the ball and you can't get a double whammy of goal scoring opportunity and a penalty and a red card. So it probably would have been a yellow card because he was genuinely going for the ball. Did he stop a goal scoring opportunity? Probably. Celtic had Maeda going onto the ball, Kyogo running through the middle, Jota coming out the back post. I think he's stopping a goal scoring opportunity. So I think it was a red card, whether or not Sky Sports want to say it's ruining the game or not, um, is a different story altogether. That's their prerogative. But I guess uh, before we move on to the end of the season and the player of the season and who we thought were stands up players throughout the season. James, anything you want to add on the, the Harris game before we move on? Sorry, James. Go ahead, before we, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, no, sorry. I, I just, I'm, I was a bit disappointed in, in the end of there before we got into the penalty debate. We start to talk about position, positionless versus relationist football, and I thought we were going <laughs> to go down that path. I'm just really disappointed that we're not going to have a positionless versus relationship relationist discussion. Uh, that would be fantastic. I, thought, I know you love that stuff, Ender. <laughs> I I adore it. I adore it. <laughs> um, sorry, yeah, yeah, joke. No, it's okay. <laughs> the, the, uh, that was worth it. Um, the um, the only other thing I'll add is again, if you kind of look at who we had playing in the back five. Um, again, to uh, to Hart's credit, they're probably not, not the most press-resistant group. <laughs> uh, 
so as much as I love Ralston and have been a um, very complimentary of him in, in his time under Ange, probably not his strength. He's you know better in defending and in getting forward than he is kind of building out from the back. Um, Starfelt, yes, he's on the right now, but he's still Starfelt. Uh, Hart's still Hart. Uh, you know, Taylor, for the most part, does an okay job, but again, can be a little dicey at times. Um, uh, so, and and again, to Hart's credit, for the most part, they followed the playbook of trying to shield McGregor, right? So it was not only get a, get forward and press, but have one of those people shielding McGregor and try to prevent him from being that kind of easy out ball uh, to, to facilitate the, you know, breaking of the press. So, you know, I, I don't know if this means, uh, uh, what, what's his face? Uh, Naismith is in line to get the job or whatever, but all other things being equal, you know, I'm generally not a fan, but, you know, it looks to me like he did a pretty good job of getting them prepped and organized and with a, a, a smart strategy. Um, maybe it's an aberration, who knows, but, um, you know, pr- pretty smart game plan. Uh, against a team that, again, with our, our personnel, probably one of the glaring weaknesses would be against the high press. Um, and I think the first half kind of, you know, validated that that was, was an issue. Well, that's what the teams did in the Champions League when I, I know it was Matt O'Reilly playing in that position as opposed to Cal McGregor, but that's what the teams did. They just absolutely smothered Celtics number six because that is that is the outball. So it is difficult um, to readjust your system when you're so used to playing uh, the easy ball into Cal McGregor and him to bring it up but that's probably why he wasn't on it as much although he did make a bursting run in the first half which I thought changed the momentum and again that's what Cal McGregor is so good at doing is being able to on the flip of a coin just change the momentum of the game and the speed of the game um, which is what all the top midfielders are able to do Um, Alan anything you wanted to add before we move on? Um, no, I think I thought Kobe, I mentioned Kobayashi there. I mean, you know, his his ability to to move the ball forward. You know, I mean, it's quite astonishing the packing scores for Kobayashi and Starfelt. Kobayashi was 142, so the next highest was 127, which is Taylor. Starfelt was minus three because <laughs> he, he he virtually never never progressed the ball forward, and and he, and he did have one turnover. It wasn't too impactful. I thought Starfelt had a, had a fine game as a defender, but he he virtually never gave Celtic a, a an opportunity to move the ball. Whereas I thought Kobayashi, for a young player and for someone who's you know at, you know again context at Tynecastle, it's not an easy place. Hearts had the tails up. You know, he gave the ball away a few times early in the first half. I thought he never, he never let that get to him, and he got stronger and stronger as the game went on. And I think he was up against a, you know, an intelligent player in Shankland. Shankland, I think, you know, essentially sacrificed himself really because he was covering McGregor a lot of the game, um, and 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 Shankland offered nothing in an attacking sense because you know he, he exerted a lot of energy in trying to engage the Celtic centre halves and then, then trying to cover balls into Callum uh, McGregor. So I thought Shankland did a, a good job. But, you know, back to Kobayashi. I think he handled Shankland as, as well as well as uh, as anyone. And I thought, you know, he, he was a standout as far as progressive ball carrying. And it was it was noticeable, we've talked about this a few times, it was noticeable the pace he was pinging the ball about at. He absolutely banged it in at people, which I think is the sign of someone who, you know, is a, is generally a good player and expects to, to be playing with good players. So I was, I was I, he was my kind of man of the match, really. But uh, which you know, others may think differently. But I thought he, I thought he did pretty well after a, after a slightly sticky start. 
Yeah, and just to put some proportionality on that, because uh, I have an easy way to look this up, it was he had 57 first half passes and Starfield had 27. So again, just to, <laughs> he was on the ball a lot more. Yeah, and that's a good like, thing, probably. <laughs> yeah, he looks like like a, a beautiful stallion out in the pitch. He's just... He's, he's very, he's very graceful. Don't tell he's, Liam. Don't tell Liam. Don't tell Liam. <laughs> he's a, oh yeah, left left footed centre back. You know, left sided um, centre back. Yeah, yeah. That's a good, sure yeah. Uh, right, we'll move on to the end of year awards. Not that we actually get a say in who who gets it. I think the voting is now closed on. Uh, the Celtic website, as far as no, I got my votes in. Got my votes in for sure. I missed it. Yeah, I missed it, so that's why I'm a little bit bitter. But the nominees are as follows. Player of the Year Award, so Cal McGregor, Kamakarta Vickers, Jota, Rio Hotate, Greg Taylor, Kyogo, and Maida. And then Young Player of the Year Awards are Matt O'Reilly, Lila Bada, Haksavanovic, and Alexander Bernabe. So pretty extensive list there. Is there anybody that isn't nominated that should be nominated there, do you think? Hmm. Um. No, I don't think so. I I think um. No, I, th- I think that's pretty much the people that I would think of in that uh, that grouping. Um, I don't know. We're going to talk about our top three for each, maybe, or but yeah, I, I um. No, I think that's pretty captive for player of the year in particular. I mean, the only player that that played more than. 30 games worth of minutes who isn't on that list is Joe Hart and the only other one that would come close would be Starfell and then possibly Moy right and then you've yeah. pretty much covered the, the core group for the season if you don't put it that way mm-hmm. so yeah so I don't know if you have discussed this beforehand have you discussed who you're picking nope. so I can't ask if you have the same person so I'll just I'll, I'll open the good floor. job producer yeah, I'll, I'll open the floor to uh, Alan. I'll give you first choice. Who's your player of the year and why? So my, my player of the year was uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers. Um, why am I not surprised? I, I bloody well knew it's, 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 You know, I, I, again, I keep, as I keep saying, uh, I, I look at performance, not moments. Carter-Vickers isn't a player that you remember moments for because he's so damn consistent. He's such a good defender. Moments often don't happen. You know, this last game before he... Um, had his operation, you know, he was man of the match against the Rangers and he had a number of key interceptions and, and key sort of interventions defensively. And those moments are what people remember. And therefore, because of those moments, he was given the you know, the man of the match award. And it's actually rare that he's in a situation where he has to defend in that way. He's a defender that avoids having to do those things because he positions himself well. He He's very good at chaperoning forward players into areas of less danger it just through to through physical strength and speed uh, and positioning but and, and they just you know it, i'm look, looking at his data it's pretty identical to the last season a very high level arguably i mean he is up well not arguably he's up there with the best celtic center halves of the t- of all the time i've collected data and i'm including one season of a much younger um, bit of Virgil van Dijk. Then it was a season of Virgil van Dijk when he was probably about the same age as Artevikas is now. That's a 23, 22, 23, 24, whatever it is. Um, so 
it's cons- you know, I love his consistency. I love his, his 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 lack of drama in his defending. I love his positioning. I love his his strength. How he avoids trouble and avoids danger, and therefore you don't get smashing tackles. You don't get the clearances off the line. You don't get all those things because he's he's so well or- organized and declutters and simplifies the game, which I I also I also like. Um, so yeah, and as I say, I, I, there's a little bit of he didn't get it last year. So and he's been as consistent, and he's he's been as consistent um, despite not having to do as much defending. So he hasn't had as much work this year, to be fair, because teams nearly always attack Celtic's left hand side, such that he's he's averaging around five defensive actions less per ninety minutes than he was last season. Simply because teams are, are targeting Starfelt and Taylor more. Uh, now, some of that's about you know the weaknesses that we've talked about, but also some of it's about well, there's no point punting the ball at Carter Vickers because he'll probably win it. So why why would you do that sort of thing? So keep the ball away from him. We've got more of a chance. So yeah, long story short, Cameron Carter Vickers consistent, but consistent to a very high standard. Pretty difficult to answer this question, but given that he matches up with Van Dijk and his data at Celtic. No, it's different times and a different Celtic team and a different style of play. But in your opinion, do you think his ceiling is as high as Van Dijk's or was? I honestly don't know. Um, my my gut instinct is possibly not. Probably not. Actually, probably not. I think it was obvious when Van Dijk was here that his ceiling was a lot higher, to such to the extent that he did make mistakes, usually because he he was coasting. He looked like he was coasting, certainly. And you see a the lot, a lot of Van Dyke's deficiencies were between his ears. Yes, yes. Whereas you know, Carter Vickers looks super. Um, you know, would 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 his concentration and mental strength be as consistently on point, being under pressure week after week at a higher level? I don't know. I'm not saying it wouldn't, but it'd be very difficult for him to maintain his levels. I think uh, so. I, I don't think he has quite got the ceiling of Van Dyke, to be honest. But all I can go on is the performances he's put on the park, and that's that's all I can go on at this stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I the way I would think about that is um, we got Van Dyke in where he was, you know, kind of near his physical peak, maybe not quite as in shape as he should have been, um, but he had a lot of maturation to do, um, you know as a lot of uh, young men do between those ages um, up until they get to be kind of 25, 26. And um, whereas Carter Vickers is kind of an old, old soul. 55, 56, actually. Right. (laughs) Um, So it's all relative, Al. Notice I stressed men, not, not, you know, uh, because we tend not to mature ever. But, um, But yeah, whereas I, you know, Carter Vickers strikes me as kind of an old soul. I mean, he's very mature. He's very kind of um, workmanlike in his mentality. Um, And, and, you know, so I I think the talent, talent gap there is significant. And that's a, that's a ceiling issue. Meaning that, you know, to Van Dyke's credit, he grew into that talent. A lot of people don't. A lot of talent goes to waste because they don't mature. They don't have the commitment. They don't have the work ethic uh, and they don't develop it and grow into that. So I, I, I think, you know, he might still improve some, but I, I think Carter Vickers is pretty close to the best he's going to get um, because, and that's to his credit, like, because he's so, you know, um, I, again, as an outsider, just kind of uh, observing the way he plays and, and um, having followed him quite a while, 
uh, even before he was at Celtic because um, of his involvement with the U S men's national team. Uh, not a lot, but still kind of in this the sphere um, is, you know, I, I don't think he's got that ceiling from here. Most likely. Yeah. I think the big difference between Carter Vickers and Van Dyck is that physicalness and even the, the footballing ability. I think, Cameron Carter Vickers possesses the same football brain, but I'm not sure if he's blessed with the same football genes as Virgil van Dijk in terms of his ability on the ball, long passing, heading, being able to outpace pretty much every forward over 10 yards. I just don't think he has the ceiling to get that. But, I mean, who knows? Who knows? But he's certainly up there with one of Celtic's best players in the last number of years. James, in terms of this year, there's plenty of comments coming in, by the way, on YouTube. Some people are saying Maeda. Some people are saying Cameron Carter-Vickers. Edward says that AJ gets an honorary mention for probably the signing of the season, I would say, maybe, uh, potentially. But who do you think is the player of the season? So this comes back to what does this mean? And and, and it can mean different things to different people. Um, You know, there's most valuable player, right? So who's contributed the most? Um, there's best player that doesn't necessarily always align with that because people are out for periods because of injury or, you know, like uh, Johnston coming in basically half the season, that kind of thing. So I, th- there's no right or wrong to this kind of thing. Um, the way I think about it is, you know, kind of a blend of those things. I try to um, conceptualize this, not only qualitatively, who do I think is the best, but also then, you know, who's actually contributed a lot. Um, and, and how they've contributed. So when, when I do that, I have uh, Kyogo as mine. Um, and uh, the major reason for that is, number one for me, uh, availability is a top skill, right? Uh, so he has played a lot this season, particularly for a striker, uh, even though he gets subbed out regularly. And again, Alan's commented on this um, in recent weeks when, you know, when people kind of compare him with, uh, some of his statistics relative to Larson. Um, so he pretty much gets 60, 65 minutes a game, but he's played, you know, well over 3000 minutes. Um, so he's pretty much been a bedrock of this side for the whole season. Um, and I think also it's, you know, and this will uh, uh, probably get me thrown out of this, the stat head uh, fraternity, but um, I think his role within the system is such that it doesn't get fully captured by um, a lot of the metrics because, you know, he's basically um, he's bought into a role that we've talked about, which is not one, you know, it's kind of like a selfless interpretation of the striker position. And, and I, it seems like he's not only accepted a bit, accepted it, he's embraced it. I don't get any sense that he's, you know, looking for more of the ball or, you know, uh, disgruntled because he's not involved in play enough, um, that kind of thing. And, and I think there was even a stat in the game at, that Andy Walker talked about. He's only had four touches in the first half or something like that. Like for, for a player as good as he is, and, and I think he's you know arguably right there as far as our best player from a talent perspective, um, the fact that his role is so limited but effective and he scored 30 goals and he's played this much um, – you know, to me and, and the other context, I, I think Carter Vickers is a reasonable um, answer as well. Uh, 
the reason why I kind of knock him down is I have a hard time giving player of the year to any defender, <laughs> given how many goals we conceded <laughs> in Europe. Um, and that's just my bias because of, you know, I got a, I got a hair up my ass for us getting better in Europe. Um, so, you know, so that's, that's, he's fully, you know, deserving as is McGregor. I think Jota, one of the issues is in Hatate to a degree um, uh, is they just haven't played enough for me, you know, to play just kind of 2000 minutes in the league, for example, and miss some time in Europe even, um, you know, so again, I, I think playing a lot of minutes is an important part of kind of value and contributing to the team. Um, mm. So, yep, Kyogo for me. So, so James, just, just, remember, just, just, so just one little point there on the European. So Carter Vickers missed Madrid away and Leipzig away. So eight goals that started conceded was, was when he wasn't in the team. I mean, mm-hmm. and it was the two toughest away games, but probably not a coincidence. Mm. Well, Kevin fourteen in the comments says that the big there's a big difference between the best and most important. So I think that's sort of the argument there. Yeah. And Christy agrees with you, James. He says that Kyogo is the guy that they all fear. So yeah, I don't have a problem with what James. Absolutely no problem at all. I mean, the the, the metric that and James will keep me honest here, probably more aware than I am. I don't think there's a metric for how many runs do you make off the ball and never get the ball. <laughs> And had okay. you got the ball, what would, what would your XG have been? Because if there's a if there's a metric for that, I'd love to see it because it'd be fantastic. I suspect he'd be way out in front, right? You know, he get, he must get the ball one in ten times. He makes a great run, if and probably more than that, actually less than that. Sorry, you know, low, a lower ratio than, than than even that. So, I think you know, to your mm-hmm. point, I think that's what you're saying. Really, is just there's a ton of work that goes on with Kyogo, that and he only occasionally gets his reward, but he does his job. And, and I think part of it is, time, is down to is, is is just sort of disposition. I, I, I keep I keep saying this um, again. Sorry for boring people, but I want my defenders to be pessimistic, my strikers to be optimistic. And, and apparently, I'm told that you know Kyogo is exactly how you, as you see him. He's a he's just a smiling, happy person all the time at training every day. That's just how he is, and that's how he plays on the pitch. And I think that's a fantastic demeanor to have. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. He doesn't get frustrated, he doesn't get disappointed, he just keeps smiling. And that's actually I'm you know I'm not being trivial here. That's a really important mindset for a striker to have, especially one who gets the ball as little as he does. Yeah, and it's interesting that you use the term selfless, James, because what it really is is selfish. Um, because I, I would imagine someone, and maybe it's Ange, maybe it's you know one of the coaches that is saying to him, "Listen, you're a striker. You want to score goals. You're going to score more goals this way, but you're going to be on the ball a lot less. So people are going to notice you." far less during the game but they're going to notice you every game because you're going to be on the score sheet so I, the way that strikers brains work all they want to do is score they don't you know most of them couldn't care less how many times they touch the ball as long as one of those touches is going into the net so um i i suspect that's been a mindset shift a little bit for kyogo is that listen i know you sort of want to be on the ball you want to be involved in the build-up but this way you're going to get far more goals um, and look, it's it's very difficult to not give player of the year to the player who has the most goals for Celtic because in a season that Celtic have scored so many goals. But I, I guess I'll, I'll run through the names again and I'll give a short line on all of them. I thought like Cal McGregor for me is Celtic's best player overall and general consistency. But this season, I just don't, he's, you know, I just don't know if he's fully deserving of it. Cameron Carter-Vickers very hard not to give it to him because of how good Celtic are defensively and he is Celtic's best defender. Jota, for me, has the highest ceiling of any Celtic player at the club, but was he consistent enough throughout the season to deserve it? Well, if you ask the people voting on the SBFL team of the year, he wasn't anyway because Manic Tillman got in ahead of him. But I think Jota has been phenomenal for Celtic throughout the season. Uh, Rio Hatate, the player who got us in most trouble over the course of the season. Us? Um, us. Well, me, Alan. <laughs> you. My fault. Yeah. Uh, anyway. The one, the, one, the, one, the one who actually gave all the opinions, i.e. you, James, uh, seemed to get away scot-free. <laughs> anyway, let's not, I think let's that, not open up I, old wounds. <laughs> I think that Tate has been excellent over the course of the season uh, and probably Celtic's most exciting player over the course of the season. But the fact that he got injured for so long there I'm not so sure he's Celtics player of the season. Kyogo, top goal scorer, um, definitely in the running for me with Cameron Carter-Vickers. Maida, provider of a lot of very important moments throughout the season, I would say, as opposed to being one of Celtics' best players. Very, very important goals for Maida. His form after the World Cup was absolutely vital for Celtic, pushing on from where they were after Christmas. And um, player of big moments this season, as opposed to a consistent quality player but for me the name on that list for the player of the year is Greg Taylor because two seasons ago when I came in Greg Taylor would have been the first player on my list as somebody who's not going to be at the club for much longer or not going to be a starter for much longer he's been a consistent starter this season there was a player brought in in his position 
um, who is potentially going to push for him, push him out of that position. A younger, more athletic, faster model. Greg Taylor has kept him out of the team. And in the Champions League, for me, the player who stood up the most and was consistently performing to a good ability bar one or two mistakes that opened up uh, the game for the opposition. I think Greg Taylor was phenomenal for Celtic in, in the Champions League based on where most people's expectations would have been for him a couple of years ago. So for, for me, over the course of the season, Greg Taylor is Celtic's player of the season. I, I know that's not a very sexy choice, but I think he's just been consistent. He's, he had the consistency of Cal McGregor. He's been he's raised his game more than Anthony Ralston did last season. His ceiling has got higher. He's still pretty young. And although he does have his limitations, I think he's as consistent as any other player and as important to Celtic's attack as any other player as well. So, Greg Taylor, fair play to you. You're, you're my player of the season this year. Not that it means anything. But, well, it, it means it, it means that um, you're a big fan of Greg Taylor, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's why I said, like, there's no wrong answers here, uh, in my my view, because uh, everyone's kind of got their own conception of of what this kind of thing means. Um, and, you know, the way I think about it is there's like an upper tier of three or four that, that I would argue are kind of, you know, really set apart. And then, again, it's just my view. And then, and then there's that pool of Hatate, Taylor, O'Reilly, um, you know, I guess you could throw hard in there um, where Maeda, like they've definitely made significant contributions um, this is where, again, probably like Alan, like when I, when I try to incorporate the nerd part of my brain, um, you know, for example, cause I, you know, I, I, I don't let a, uh, I don't, I never let something go if, 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 um, we get into the analytical, uh, uh, warfare perspective. And so who do you think, so if you, again, what I like to do is I like to look back at past seasons and what's the obvious, I'll, I'll ask you, Wendell, what's the obvious benchmark? for a team to, to that we would have data for, for any significant amount to benchmark the season's team against who would it be in terms of Celtic teams? Yeah. Or... Like if I'm going to look at the, the teams and the players in the team, who's the, what's the obvious season to compare against? See, I would say Brendan Rogers season, but I don't think it is. I, I think you're, you're going back further. I think you're going to the, almost Neil Lennon, bring back the thunder 2012 well, team. Right, we wouldn't have data. For but that. if you have data on that, yeah, I, yeah. I, so let's go the with invincible, the Brendan Rodgers team. The, the, yeah. Well, the invincible Brendan Rodgers team, right? So yeah. the goal tally, the the XG's actually higher this season than it was um, that season, at least in the league, for example. Which again, you have apples to apples for the most part. Um, so Scott Sinclair was the player of the year, obvious choice, incredible goal and assist tally. Do you remember the attacking midfielder that season that also had a huge amount of Alan, you'll probably know it just because you're a stat geek. But Enda, uh, who who was the midfielder that put up like crazy attacking output that season? Do you remember? Stuart Armstrong was it? Yeah, yeah. So his, his total uh, scoring contribution per game—that's goals and assists—was 0.83 per game. Do you remember a narrative or a huge push to get Stuart Armstrong as player of the season? This is a guy that ended up well, right? Probably again from stat nerds, right? So, so he averaged 0.7, I'm sorry, 0.57 goals per 90 minutes. And again, he played a, he played in a role that was comparable, I would say, more to Hitate. He played some kind of dropping deep, you know, making those runs into the box, that kind of thing. 
uh, and he had 0.26 assists per game. So that's again, that's not that's just the old school stats. That's not like you know nerd stats XG and XA. Um, his to- total scoring contribution, and this is using Y Scout because I don't have stats bomb that far. Um, his XG and XA was 0.53 per game. McGregor, who kind of played again in a similar role that season, again in an attacking side that was comparable to the seasons, um, 0.45 scoring contribution and 0.44 for his expected scoring contribution. All right, so a big outlier for for uh, Armstrong. Hatate this season, very comparable to, to that season for McGregor. 0. 0.48 in scoring contribution. His expected scoring is actually 0. 0.35, so a good bit lower. Okay, so this is the kind of crap that Alan and I look at when we say, well, when you benchmark some of these players, you know, from just purely for this is not qualitative. This is not saying how oh, he makes beautiful passes at times and all this other stuff, which is all true like he did in the game against hearts, which was an amazing uh, uh, cutback pass for the, for the goal. Um, You know, you you can actually measure some of this stuff. And again, Jota, although he played a significant fewer minutes compares very favorably to that season from Sinclair Sinclair. uh, When you back out the penalties, because Sinclair had quite a number of penalties that season and, and played a lot more minutes than, than Jota did. Um, so this is kind of benchmarking when I, when I look at this kind of question, like what, you know, who are we going to put in forth as far as these kind of things? That's the statistical part of it that I, that I'll look at and trying to offer some kind of context. And again, narratives are important and they certainly drive a lot of this, particularly from, you know, a kind of a, a standard fan perspective. Um, but I, I would argue, and Alan wrote a piece, one of the first ones I ever read on his site, um, about in Cham's 17-18 season, which he played about the same amount of minutes as Hatate did this season, and I would argue had a better season. There was no talk about Olivier and Cham <laughs> uh, being player of the season that year, um, and he's anything consequential. So that, again, speaks to narrative and how important that is in a lot of these things because things mm. get, their, get their own momentum, and you know, certain players have certain... Um, narratives assigned to them and you know that's how these things work do you have the numbers in front of you for this or have you pre for what planned that for the comparable to the the invincible team oh yeah i have all that right in front of me so how does ha- how does greg taylor compare to karen tierney that's oh i didn't have well yeah so again from a from a player position perspective i i would think that would be unfair to t- taylor actually because Taylor's played a very specific role in a very specific system, whereas Tierney was an overlapping attacking fullback. Um, So Tierney's kind of attacking stats are going to, and I don't have those right in front of me specifically from the team level and kind of the the player of the year relevant people. I had, I I looked at some stuff. Uh, I don't consider Taylor in that group. That's why I didn't look at it. No offense, Enda. Um, Hmm. But that, that kind of, you know, uh, comparison would not be fair to, to Taylor because his role is very different. He's not, he's more of a midfielder almost um, in, in many respects, almost like a, a, you know, part of that double pivot as they swap back and forth with, with McGregor in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, as far as like XG and uh, that's the other, you know, crazy part of this, this season relative to that invincible side, obviously the league relative to a more, you know, juiced up Rangers financially, um, you know, we had higher XG, not a lot higher so far, non-penalty. And again, this is using Y Scout's model. Um, but the, 
XG conceded is 25% lower this season than, than that, um, that season. So 0.82 versus 0.62. So that, that's just really, again, that speaks to the level of dominance that we've had in squelching out opposition's ability to really do anything in counterattack or, um, you know, getting out of their own half. Mm. Very different sides as well in terms of how they control the game and how they went about it. But Alan, I mean, the Celtic team are very close to breaking the goal scoring record of that team. Um, which is pretty much, you know, it's an exceptional thing to do. How how do you compare the two sides? I mean, yeah, it's, it's a team that you, I think you know a lot of players in there that you fond of. I think did Patrick Roberts play in that season? I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. he did. Yeah, um, yep. obviously, yeah, sure, sure. Second Armstrong. half, I think he was more prominent. Yep. Yeah, um, Dembele obviously played in St. Clair, which is quite a, sort of devastating. Um, with with James Forrest as well, obviously, a devastating front three. Um, so and and Craig Gordon, you know, peak peak sort of Craig Gordon really as well in goal. So um, yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I don't, you know, I think the way that the teams play, I characterise Rogers' team as it got more and more about control and, and less and less about you know risk and attack, and it was really about wearing teams down. Um, I. I I think uh, Ange has got a more of a definitive vision, and it's a more attractive way of playing football, shall I say? Even if, even if perhaps you know, you could argue that you, perhaps that team, that Liverpool team, maybe had better players, and in some positions certainly, um, I don't think it was as quite as, as aggressively attacking as this team is. So I, just from a, a watch perspective, looking, you know, entertainment perspective, you know, that's what, what we're all here for. At the end of the day, the, the numbers are great fun as well for us, but ultimately you want to be entertained. So I think that's why I would prefer to watch Ange's team. I, I'm, I'm sitting on the fence a bit about the quality because I think that, that so much depends on the quality of the opposition, really. Um, because I've, as I say, the one thing, and I'm not, I'm not just fending that off. I mean, it's the one thing that I've, you know, what the, if, if, I, if I had to tell you one thing definitively, what have you learned from capturing all this data? It's that, in the context of Scottish football, it's so do- it's so dependent on the quality of the opposition. I know that sounds obvious, but it, it really, really is. So that's why you know I, I'm trying to avoid sort of lazy comparisons yeah. uh, without really kind of digging deeper into that aspect. So, so and I, I'm going to quiz you again because I like hammering you here. So, who was the leading goal scorer for Celtic uh, in the league in 2017-18? Well, that was the invincible season, wasn't it? No, well, no, that was yeah. the season after the Invincible, the second trouble winning season. So everyone, again, we we, we remember the, that Invincible season so fondly. And then was 17, it, 18, it, it, 18, 19, we kind of slowly notched down. It was Edouard, was it? No, it was Scott Sinclair, 10 Clare goals. Was that, the, was, was that the season that it was only the last couple of games that anyone hit double figures? Yeah. yeah. So uh, Sinclair uh, led the team with 18 Overall, 10 in the league, Forrest with 17, Dembele with 16 overall. And in the league, it was 10, 8, 9. Guess who led the league in goals that season? Was it um, that, oh, that big idiot from, was it Costco or something daft like that? No, it was the worst answer possible. That, that <laughs> bastard, Chris Boyd. <laughs> Chris Boyd, Jesus. He had 18 at Kilmarnock. <laughs> so, right, so we were dominant those seasons this is why you know again going back to Kyogo people say oh you know he's scoring 30 goals you know that kind of thing but you know those were dominant teams and 
Dembele was hurt a lot. Um, you know, obviously a tr- hugely talented player. Griffiths couldn't stay on the pitch anymore after his one big season. Um, and Sinclair was our leading scorer for, for basically two seasons with the second one being not a great, you know, total. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's relatively easy to score goals for Celtic, but showing up for work <laughs> and doing it is even against domestic competition is, is, you know, still a pretty, uh, a pretty heady thing when you get up into this 25, 30, 35 kind of goal tally. For the second season in a row, it should be added as well. So it's, you know, it's, it's not just a one season blip thing for, from Kyogo and he's done it in a completely different way as well. I would argue, cause he was relied on, upon to play more positions than one in his first season when he got here. But I guess that, that's why I wanted to mention most of the players that have been nominated because when teams win a league and when they're so dominant, one of the biggest questions from outsiders is sort of like, what's your, what's your secret? Like what, what is, what's the secret to success at this club? And I would argue that Celtic have a wonderful mix of players and it's a really good mix to have in that you need firstly players who are consistent. Celtic have that in Cameron Carter Vickers, Greg Taylor, uh, Cal McGregor and Kyogo, all four of them, the spine of the team, Joe Hart, you can add in there too. Consistency of performance is what you get from them week in, week out. Then you have your beauty players like Hatate. Jota, players who are going to light up the game at the spark and they can just, at the drop of a coin, they can just change the game, do it themselves, dribble past someone, pick up the ball, take on 10 players and, you know, get across into the box. Celtic have that. And then they have the moments players who are important players throughout the season, like Maeda, as I mentioned, like O, for example, who came into the club, like Johnson, who came into the club, uh, they're moments players who have had very important moments throughout the season. You might not notice them for 10 games. They play an important role throughout the game. So they're water carriers for most of it that you don't notice. And then when you really need them, they're the ones that provide the moments. Rawson got a couple of goals last season. He was a moments player. Maeda was a moments player this year. Johnston against Rangers when he came in for his first ever game. That was a big moment. That that was a big player to come in and do those things. So, it's a brilliant mix of players that Celtic have. And the thing that links them all together, which is the most important thing and what we've spoken about is hard work. Every single one of them works hard. Look at the other side of Glasgow as the example. Alfredo Morelos is out the door because he's gained four stone over the last couple of years and he's won nothing. That's what you don't get with any of these Celtic players. You can't say that any of them down toys at any stage of the season. And if they did at any point or complained or whinged or moaned, one of them is off playing in MLS right now. So that's what happens when you set yourself standards that Ange have set. If you don't withhold those standards, then you're out the door. And I think that's a very important aspect of it that Ange knits together nicely. Well said. Before before we wrap up, can, can I just make, because there, there, again, because we're an analytics-centric uh, podcast, I have to uh, point out the one just horrible you know, if you take it from a stats perspective, there's one oh, egregious. Yeah. Are you going to uh, hammer me here? No, no, it's not. It has nothing to do with you oh, here. Okay, it's it's okay. the 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 um the the I guess it's the players' team of the season that the league put out. Um, is that what it is? is that by the players? The one that was put yeah, out? Yeah, right? the SP, I thought it was the players' FPFA um, team. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was. So so that's that's voted for by the players. So that's yeah. Right. Me, PFA that's Scotland players. The most that, players of the scene. That, that's the that's the most important because that's that's the actual players on the pitch. Right. Well, I, I would uh, we could have a d- different conversation on that, but um, is the the one that's egregious? And again, this is going to sound bad coming from me, but. Um, Joe Hart getting that over Kel Roos from Aberdeen from an analytics perspective is an abomination. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Roos has uh, from an advanced metrics saved almost 10 goals for, for Aberdeen this season uh, from his shot stopping alone. Um, He's actually pretty much the only keeper in the league that has any positive shot stopping that material shot stopping the flip side of that is alan mcgregor has thrown the ball in that eight times <laughs> on a net basis for, for rangers right which has been a big swing in the in the tuttle race um so R- Roos is a a material element to them being in a spot for a european place and i'm not taking anything away from Hart. Hart's had you know a very good season he's been solid resolute all that stuff he's done he basically saved what he should which again is again offering value, um, you know, particularly in the context of, of Scottish football where most of the keepers don't even do that. Uh, so he's, he's basically been number two after Roos, but the gap between him and Roos is like crazy. And um, given that for Aberdeen having a good shot now at, at uh, the Europa League, which is a huge deal for them financially, um, I just wanted to mention that because, again, within the context of an analytics podcast, uh, th- th- to me, that's out of all these awards, all of this stuff, like that's the one that I-, I could even make an argument or a case, you know, including people from other teams. You get that, you know, as far as Duke and, and even Van Veen, who both had really good seasons for their teams, but is it, you know, you can't have all Celtic players. You can't, you know, realistically. Um, so I-, I think I'd rather see Jota in there. I think he's much more, um, you know, uh, warranting of it than than Hart is mostly because Roos it's a complete ripoff that he's not <laughs> the keeper from a from an analytics perspective. So, I you know, I, I guess no, it, I completely hundred percent agree with you, James. All I would say is, um, on that ba- on that basis using stats, it would be almost impossible for Joe Hart to ever win that because you know there's right. about a third a third of the games he doesn't make a save. So to to get enough saves over a value. Uh, would just take him like a, you know a thousand games <laughs> for Celtic, so and, and that's fine. I don't. I would expect a Celtic goalkeeper, unless they're a struggling team or relatively poor Celtic team, to have the goalkeeper as, as player of the year. Roos is. I, I'm completely agreeing with you. I'm just saying it would be. You know, I think I don't think Hart has performed. When you say that, oh, Roos has saved ten goals over average, and and Hart hasn't. Yeah, I don't think that's a fair. Comp- I wouldn't frame it that way because I don't think that's fair on Hart, but I would agree that Roos is deserving of winning it because of the of the value he's added to his team over and above for sure. And then, like mm. you say, the other the other thing again by stats. So this is stats bomb. This is not me. Um, but again, if you if you do a compare of Tillman and Yota, then you know it's, it's no contest really. You, you would pick Yota every time. So yeah. otherwise, it all kind of seemed to make sense. Yeah, I, on the on the hard thing, I think. Most people will, on face value, look at the fact that Celtic have conceded 25 goals this season and Aberdeen have conceded 53. But then you have to put that into perspective that three out of the four team of the year players 
in defence are Celtic players and the fourth well, at right back would be there as well if he played a full season. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, like, Hearts how, how much do you put down to Hart? Well, Hearts, Hearts faced less than two shots a game. I mean, it's yeah. Al's point. I mean, impossible for him. Yeah. Right. I mean, Celtic keepers basically. And right, and that's right. That's right. Do much. <laughs> right. Yeah. No problem. One, one, fi- <laughs> one final point before we finish up, and that's on Ange Pasacoglu, because, I mean, you can't talk about the season without mentioning him. We were all told that the second season is going to be even better. And on, at least on a points per game, a goals per game, a goals conceded per game basis, it did get much better. The squad is deeper. Alan, he was quite emotional after the game um, in his interview. Now, a lot of people are reading into that and saying, oh, well, he's gone. I, I think if you look at when the emotions started to break through, it was when he was talking about his kids and how much they've sacrificed in order for him to you know, do this. So I would say it's not that. But I guess you know, as much as we want to heap praise on the players, a lot of this does come down to the man in charge as well. Yeah. So, you know, it was a great interview. I mean, you know, I think we all understand Ange to be somebody who is, I hate to use them as modern term of authentic, it sounds so crap, but I think everyone knows what understands what I mean when I say that. Um, and, and and I've said many times, he tells you what he thinks, right? There, there isn't too much to un- unpack in terms of, trying to read between lines okay so what has he consistently said he consistently talked about um how warm he and and how welcoming um glasgow in general and celtic in particular have been to himself and his family we know how important his family are he's got two young children i think they're under you know no more than 10 11 years old however old they are so disrupt you know pulling them out of school and moving them around is, is is hugely disruptive and something that he would understand to be not something you would take on on lightly i go i went back to uh, a three part interview that he did with an australian uh, buddy of his um uh, towards the end of the first season um and he he talked about um the process he went through to get this job and he talked about how he was he was down to the last two to get the AK Athens job. He thought with the Greek connection, you know, he was going to be not a shoe in, but he felt confident. This is it. This is my and and how important it was for him to be given an opportunity to manage a European club, and that fell through. And him and his wife sat down, and he talks about how they said, "Oh, it's just never going to happen. It's just never going to happen." And then the Celtic interest. Uh, came along and suddenly he was you know he was given this opportunity and and I'm not saying he has to be grateful forever for that opportunity because he has to be treated fairly and treated correctly by Celtic there's no suggestion that that is not the case but this is somebody who at 57 years old has been given his his dream to manage a top European club he probably never expected to manage one as as big as Celtics, I mean, with respect, AEK Athens are, are, you know, they're huge in Greece. I know that, but they're a relatively small European, or a small European club. They're, but they're not, they're not anywhere near sort of Celtic size, really. Again, I'm not inviting a pile on here from any Greeks watching. And uh, but um, so so I come back to, you know, that was an outpouring to me of somebody who is appreciative of what he has, of humbleness towards his own family for what they provide to him to allow him to do his job and, and of continuing appreciation and humility and understanding of what he 
in his mind he has been given that not doesn't mean to say that he doesn't he isn't demanding incredibly demanding behind the scenes um and, and wants celtic to be as ambitious as he is on all of that and i'm not saying that something won't happen in the background that might change that dynamic but that to me came across as a man who adores his family who's incredibly grateful for what he does who loves what he does and enjoys the environment in which he, he works in now you know shoot me down i might be telling you what i want to what i want to take from that but that was just my genuine amateur psychological reading reading of uh of, of what i saw mm-hmm. james did you have something similar i echo everything alan said i, I again just to be a, a pop psychologist um as a parent i don't and you're not a parent yet right oh, god no jesus thank I'm god to look after thank myself god for, Thank God for the world there so far. So far, you still have some maturing to do, young man. Um, Don't do it, in the, think, think of the rest. Well, of us. If, if you go off, if you go off, football are maturing. I'm I'm well past the 25 mark now. I should be fully mature. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, we'll see. It's, about it's that, not but. a linear thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. outliers all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Um. But but as a as a parent, and I have two teenagers right now. I know Alan's yours are kind of coming out of that same phase. I didn't even know what ages his kids are. Um, I, I would have, I've given his age, I would have guessed a little older, but um, I can, you know, I, I, I kind of had the same sense you did. Um, and as far as it was pretty clearly related to um, his family. And, and if you think about kids that age being disrupted, moving half across the world, uh, halfway across the world, um, and then now having spent a couple of years or maybe a few years in Glasgow, they're entering those adolescent years where a parent is going to th- have to think seriously whether you want to disrupt their lives again. Um, and I, I can tell you as a, as a, you know, I have a 16 and an 18 year old right now. If I go back t- two or three years and think about the idea of moving my kids at that point when they have all of their friends and they're in that, you know, obviously we had the, the pandemic being a unique experience, but that also would have impacted his children um, in a very tough time of their life. So, you know, um, I, I could see someone in his situation that gets a job opportunity somewhere else and has kids that age saying, you know what, I'm making good money. I'm happy here. I've got the control I want. You know, why, why, why would I disrupt my family? And I'm not saying this is the case. I'm just saying that this is what went through my head when, you know, uh, again, when I put my pop psychologist and, and analysis hat on, uh, you know, on net, if I put myself in his a guy like his shoes, yeah, you've got this tremendous uh, competitiveness and ambition professionally, but you also, you know, have that role as a parent. And um, that's a really tough decision to make. It'd be different if his kids were 20 or, in, or 22. Uh, I'd be a lot more worried on on net that he'd say, oh, well, of course I'll go to, you know, go be manager of Chelsea when the current guy or whoever they're going to hire ends up getting fired in six months or that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think on net, th- that's the kind of situation where, you know, maybe he does put down roots and s- stick in, in, um, in Glasgow for a little bit longer, partly because of having some stability for his kids. Hmm. And I mean, I would take that. I think most Celtic fans would I, take it. And as long as there's progress still happening and doesn't go stale, then, you know, he's welcome at the club for as long as he wants, I guess. it's He's sort of cemented himself as that. Because 
yeah, we, we can we can. Talk, I was going to go into the whole director of football thing and things like that, but we're an hour and eight minutes into this podcast, so I'm not going to go down that route. We can talk about that in later podcasts throughout the season because I mean, there's there's still a couple of games left, but I presume we're not going to be analyzing them in too much depth when uh, you know we've got James McCarthy playing in the number ten <laughs> striker <role> and, and <laughs> James Forrest playing out left wing and things like that. So, uh, so we'll looking start, forward we'll to seeing what. Andrew, Andrew will leave next week and we'll start the new season with uh, James McCarthy and Stephen Welsh at centre-half in the Champions League. <laughs> bring back the old, bring back the old ball. <laughs> See, the thing about the thing that uh, most people outside of Scottish football don't realise is that the domination tends to only go for about three to four years and then you have to start from scratch altogether because, you know, it just gets... Everyone runs down their contract to about six months and players end up getting old and... French players get annoyed at the situation and down tools. And yes, I'm being a little bit xenophobic there to the French players. But I mean, when when the when, when the evidence is there, when the evidence is there, I can point towards it. But uh, look, that's uh, on that note. Before I get sued, um, I will end the show here. Guys, thanks very much as always. Um, and thanks to everybody who watched and listened on YouTube on the live stream. Keep the comments coming. We'll try to get back to as many as we can and make sure to like the video as well so more people can see them. And if you're new to the channel, hit the subscribe button as well. We're usually live relatively, you know, consistently you, throughout the You were season. on time today, Andrew. It's usually, and it's usually a week it's usually a weekday, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um no, I dragged myself, dragged myself the two yards it took from from my couch, which is now behind me, to the chair that I'm sitting in front of. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride this season. I can't remember most of the season because of the World Cup, but I know that I enjoyed it. So, um, I hope everyone else did, and we'll be continuing the show until the end of the season as well. So, be sure to tune in if you want to get this podcast. It's on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. James Allen, thanks again. All right, guys. guys. I'll go pop the champagne now. Good luck. <laughs> Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the game. And how you play it All about control And if you can take it All about your debt And if you can pay it It's all about pain And who's gonna make it I am the game You don't wanna play me I am control No way you can shake me I am heavy debt No way you can pay me I am the pain And I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder Ready to run Like a Cleveland bitch From a smoking gun I am the game And I may do so move on out, you can die like a fool Try to figure out what my mood's gonna be Come on over, son, or I don't dress me Don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play
Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.